Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Coming up, President Biden rips his Russian counterpart over the death of opposition leader Alexei Navalny. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. Two teens charged in that shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade. It was an initial shock. It feels like a bad dream. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, Changes at the Border. There has been a pretty dramatic geographical shift in migration patterns. I'm Allison Keyes in Washington. Strained relations between the United States and Russia got worse Friday with reports that opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died in prison. President Biden blames President Vladimir Putin. Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe it or not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake, make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. More now from CBS's Natalie Brand. Yulia Navalny, the wife of opposition leader Alexei Navalny, spoke about the reports of her husband's death, saying Russian President Vladimir Putin will bear the responsibility for what he did to her country and her family. She made her comments before world leaders at the annual Munich Security Conference, where Vice President Kamala Harris offered her condolences. This is, of course, terrible news which we are working to confirm. Russia says the 47-year-old opposition leader died after taking a walk at the prison where he's been detained on extremism charges that Navalny says were politically motivated. He appeared in a video in court and seemed to be in good health. Sir, first, was this an assassination? We don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and his, and his thugs did. President Biden offered prayers for Navalny's family, but stressed the urgency of more support for Ukraine. An aid package passed by the Senate this week, but the House left town for a two-week recess without taking action. This is bizarre, and it's just reinforcing all the concern and, and, and almost, I won't say panic, but real concern about the United States being a reliable ally. Meanwhile, the Biden administration confirmed this week that Russia is developing a space-based weapon to target satellites. Could theoretically do something that was damaging. Hadn't happened yet, and uh, my expect, my, my hope is it will not. This comes a month before Russia's presidential election. Putin is almost guaranteed to win another six-year term. Natalie Brand, CBS News, the White House. 
Now to Israel, where the defense minister is planning to move forward with an offensive in the southern Gaza city of Rafah, despite growing international concerns about the civilians there. CBS's Holly Williams. There are about one and a half million Palestinians currently sheltering, sheltering in the city of Rafah. Many of them are living in tents. They are displaced and exhausted. Uh, the population of Rafah is normally about a quarter of a million, 250,000 people. So that's uh, that's enlarged by seven or eight times. Around 80% of the population of the Gaza Strip has been displaced during this war. Now, Israel's defense minister said that they are thoroughly planning for an offensive uh, in, in Rafah. And Israel has said that civilians will be allowed to leave the battle zone. However, Israel is adamant that it is going to push ahead with this offensive. The defense minister essentially said that they have to go, go ahead. He said that 18 of Hamas's 24 battalions have been destroyed in the war. And he said that now, and this is a direct quote, Rafah is the next center of gravity. However, Israel is facing mounting international pressure not to go into Rafah. The United Nations has said that it could lead to a slaughter uh, and countries including Canada and Australia have urged Israel not to go down this path. All this is the U.S. Central Command is trying to protect its own and global commerce. CBS News Managing Editor and Anchor Nora O'Donnell previews a report for 60 Minutes. The U.S. military just revealed it intercepted 200 packages containing ballistic missile parts, drones, and explosives. U.S. Central Command says the lethal aid was on its way from Iran to a militia in Yemen known as the Houthis. For this Sunday, 60 Minutes, we go inside the U.S. Navy's battle to protect global commerce and its own ships from Houthi attacks, as we were the first journalists to visit the Red Sea since the crisis began. Could the Houthis do this without Iranian support? No. For a decade, the Iranians have been supplying the Houthis. They've been resupplying them. They're resupplying them as we sit here right now uh, at sea. We know this is happening. They're advising them and they're providing targeting information. This is crystal clear. Are there members of Iran's elite Revolutionary Guard Corps that are actually on the ground in Yemen providing intelligence and targeting? The Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps is inside Yemen and they are serving side by side uh, with the Houthis, advising them and providing targeted information. You can see our full report from the Red Sea this Sunday on 60 Minutes. There's a life-threatening problem that affects cities across the nation. Wisconsin has one of the country's highest rates of drunken driving. Nearly a quarter of drivers there admit to getting behind the wheel while under the influence, but drunk driving laws are fairly lenient. WDJT-TV's Ellie Nakamoto-White on attempts to change that. In Wisconsin, every two hours, somebody's life is affected by drunk driving. It's only a matter of time when you're out on the road before this is going to affect you or somebody that you love. And this is entirely preventable. According to lawmakers in 2022, about a third of all traffic-related deaths in the state were due to impaired driving. And more than 23,000 Wisconsin drivers were convicted of an OWI offense. Over 770,000 Wisconsin drivers have at least one OWI. That's about one in five drivers across our state. Plus, officials say those first-timers are estimated to have driven impaired at least 80 times before they were caught. If we are not going to be stopping preventable deaths, what are we doing here? So how do we lower those numbers? Well, this is one state lawmaker's suggestion. The device will analyze the sample 
and provide the end user with the results. This is an ignition interlock device, or an IID. Interlocks have prevented over 410,000 attempts to drive drunk with a blood alcohol concentration of 0.08 or greater in Wisconsin. Right now in Wisconsin, they're putting cars owned by drivers who have been convicted of two OWIs with BAC levels of 0.15 or higher. All you do is blow, and once you pass, your car will start. The camera has a full view of the entire cab. Anybody testing other than the driver is recorded. This new legislation would put them inside cars for all drivers convicted of an alcohol-related OWI. Take a bus, take a lift, take an Uber, find another way home. One more note, late Friday, a New York judge ruled that former President Trump must pay $354.9 million in penalties for fraudulently overstating his net worth to dupe lenders. Trump has denied wrongdoing and has called the case a political vendetta by New York's Democratic Attorney General Letitia James. He is expected to appeal the ruling. Coming up, the latest on that shooting at a Super Bowl parade. There's an initial shock. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Charges have been filed against two juveniles in connection with the shooting at the Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl parade this week. Police say it started as a dispute, but at least one person is dead and more than 20 others were hurt. CBS's Charlie DeMar. While police pour over videos for evidence, families in Kansas City want to know how a Super Bowl celebration became the site of yet another mass casualty shooting in America. Lisa Lopez Galvan was there with several family members. Lisa was the life of the party. The local radio personality was celebrating the Chiefs championship win when she was shot and killed. We spoke with her brother and sister. There's an initial shock and uh, it feels like a bad dream. The mother's adult son was also shot but expected to survive. They took away his mother, his best friend. She did everything for them. Half of the victims are under 16, the youngest just eight years old. We all train for this. We're all prepared to take care of these children, but it doesn't negate the fact that it's still not normal for people to see many, many people wounded by gunshots. Police are tight-lipped about the two suspects still in custody. Video shows one person with a gun being tackled. Two men, including Trey Filter, were thanked by police. The entire time we were holding him down, people are yelling, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. When he was tackled, the gun fell, and um, 
she she secured the weapon. That weapon appears to be a large semi-automatic rifle. In a major increase this past decade, 60% of mass shootings occur in everyday places, churches, theaters, grocery stores, or at celebrations like the parade in Kansas City. She was just really happy to be there. We did not expect the day to end like this. And as city leaders and families discuss and determine whether these outdoor large gatherings are safe to attend, the mayor here in Kansas City vowing to move forward and host next month's St. Patrick's Day Parade. Charlie DeMar, CBS News, Kansas City, Missouri. That tragedy has reignited the discussion about gun control in the nation. Survivors of some of the worst mass shootings in the last few years are calling for a new federal assault weapons ban. The first one expired 20 years ago. The rapid firing of bullets from a high-powered weapon. Michael Anderson was pouring a drink at Club Q when shots rang out. That's a sound you'll never get out of your head. The only surviving bartender from that Colorado Springs mass shooting. How many surgeries have you had? You know, I should probably count over a dozen. Natalie Grummet was shot in the face during the Las Vegas massacre, shattering her jawbone. I wake up in pain and I go to bed in pain and uh, emotional recovery is just as challenging. Melissa Alexander is a gun owner and Republican. I want to be a voice for that group of people that sometimes I don't think you hear from. She's also the mother of a nine-year-old survivor of last year's Nashville school shooting. The more these types of tragedies happen, the more people will be activated. There's going to be an inflection point. Like, we can't go on like this as a society. You know, that inflection point for me is not going to bring my mother back. Gurnell Whitfield Jr.'s 86-year-old mother, Ruth Whitfield, was murdered in the racially motivated shooting at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. This is unconscionable. Michael Bennett, nice to see you. Now, fed up with gridlock, they're meeting with lawmakers to rally support for the Go Safe Act. Guns are fine, but there's a responsibility here. The legislation sponsored by Senator Martin Heinrich effectively bans some semi-automatic firearms and large-capacity magazines. I really wanted to get at the mechanisms, the specific mechanisms that make some of these weapons so dangerous. The weapons behind nine of the 10 deadliest shootings since 2016. It's backed by survivors and March 4th, a nonpartisan organization with a single mission of reinstating the ban. Between 2015 and 2022, mass shootings carried out with assault weapons left an average of nearly six times as many people shot. You have to start somewhere. It starts here. It starts with us. It's a step, yeah. D.C. should take notes because we're all very different from different parts of this country. Mm -hmm. But we're here united on this. Absolutely. And eventually we will get the change we need and deserve. United in their mission to prevent future tragedies. Nicole Skanga, CBS News, Washington. Demonstrations over issues like climate change might work. CBS's Matt Piper. Dana Fisher of American University says radical protesting over things like climate change is not popular with the general public, but that does not mean that it's not successful. There's a lot of research that says that policy change only happens when there are these windows of opportunity that open. Frequently, that tends to involve more confrontational action. Caitlin Clark is now the number one career scorer in NCAA women's basketball. Here comes Clark. Will she go for history? There it, is! it took her two minutes and 12 seconds. The all-time leading scorer in women's college basketball. 
basketball. Caitlin Clark once again made the historic scene routine, breaking the record with the logo shot that's become her signature. And of course, she didn't stop there. Scoring 23 points in the first quarter en route to a career-high 49-point masterpiece. It's pretty unreal. This crowd's unreal. I'm just really grateful, honestly, to be able to be here and like make so many of my dreams come true. Maybe we should have seen it coming. Her competitive fire sparked when she was just a kid, dunking on a mini hoop in West Des Moines. For high school coach Kristen Meyer, it didn't take long to see Clark was special. I knew she was a different type of talent than I had been around before. She wants to win all the time. Highly recruited, Clark decided to stay close to home and rewrite the record books at Iowa. When she steps on the floor, there's not a doubt in her mind that she's the very best. But she's earned those moments how hard she works. Clark. Known for her epic shooting and no-look passes, Clark's dynamic style of play has helped Iowa sell out arenas home and away. And the mark of a great player is making those around you better. She has more than a thousand assists. Clark races away. Last year, she led the Hawkeyes to their first NCAA championship game. As she helps lead a women's basketball boom, inspiring countless young girls with their own mini hoops, who cheer for Clark with jubilation and awe. What would six-year-old Caitlin Clark think of you, 22-year-old Caitlin Clark? They would pinch myself to like make me wake up from this dream, and my six-year-old self would maybe not be surprised, maybe be surprised at the magnitude that I'm on right now, but proud of the way I've worked for this more than anything. Clark may not be done breaking records. She just needs 98 points to break Pistol Pete Maravich's record for all of Division I basketball, men and women. That record has stood for 54 years. Jan Crawford, CBS News, Iowa City, Iowa. Coming up, the building blocks of homes. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. Israel's assault on the Gaza Strip has killed more than 28,000 Palestinians, according to the Hamas-run health ministry there. But one badly wounded little boy got some compassion and much-needed help in the U.S. CBS's Jerika Duncan with the story. At New York's JFK Airport, Elisa Montanti waits patiently. Montanti cut through red tape to get five-year-old Omar Abuquake to the U.S., a frightened little boy in desperate need of medical care. Omar's aunt says his parents, brother, sister, and grandparents were all killed by an Israeli airstrike on their Gaza home in December. He suffered severe injuries, including leg wounds and the amputation of his left arm. I get it. At his temporary home run by Montanti's charity, the Global Medical Relief Fund, Hi, hey Omar experienced snow oh for the first God. time. I love it. <laughs> yeah. This is the first time he, she sees him smiling. Oh. And a bunk bed. These are innocent children that have absolutely no resources or very, very little. And the 60 countries we have helped are all of these children from war-torn and natural disasters. She's partnered with Shriners Children's in Philadelphia. 
So his left arm was the one that was amputated. Omar's injuries were evaluated by Dr. Scott Cozen. The fact that Omar was able to be brought here is good for Omar, and it's good for his outlook. If he stayed in Gaza or stayed in Egypt, who knows? I, I don't know what would have happened. We were in the operating room as Dr. Cozen performed surgery. So we want to get rid of all this bad scar and replace it with normal skin graft. To repair the wound on Omar's leg. Doctors also begin the process of fitting Omar for a prosthetic arm. His recovery is expected to take several weeks. After that, he'll return to a tent camp in Gaza with his aunt. But far from the reality of war, Omar visited the Staten Island Children's Museum. A momentary escape. Where he could be a child once again. Jerika Duncan, CBS News, New York. Inflation in the nation is still high, meaning food and shelter are costly. That leaves millions of student loan borrowers stuck between paying their debt or supporting their families. CBS's Nancy Chen. With two master's degrees, Raquel Perry has always prioritized education, and she has the bills to prove it. How much do you owe? $307,000. When you see that amount written out, what do you think? How am I ever going to pay this back? The 30-year-old mother teaches financial literacy to high schoolers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But when it comes to supporting her family, the numbers don't add up. If I pay this five, six, seven hundred dollars this month, how am I going to afford to buy food for the family for the month, for the week? Perry avoided her payments, along with 40 percent of borrowers, after federal student loan bills resumed last fall following a pause for the pandemic. Borrowers won't face late fees for a one-year grace period, but student loan advisor Betsy Mayot warns interest is still building. What are the consequences or risks in not addressing this issue? If the loan ends up defaulting, it's going to be a big hit on your credit. Future debt that you need to take on a mortgage, a credit card, a car loan is likely going to have a much higher interest rate. While everyone's situation is different, all federal loans offer an interest rate discount for auto pay. For some, up to $2,500 in annual interest could be written off on tax returns. And the government has constantly evolving programs that can eliminate or reduce loans, with options available through the online loan simulator tool. I would love to see every consumer with student loans get in the habit of reevaluating their student loan strategy and checking in on things once a year. Lessons for all, including those at the head of the classroom. Nancy Chen, CBS News, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Everybody loves Legos, right? What if you could build a home out of them or something similar? CBS's Christiane Benavides reports. Ricardo Lopez and his miniature dachshund Milo were among the first residents at this South Florida development. So living here has been a great experience. The floor plan of my apartment is nice. Lakewood Village is no ordinary apartment complex. It's built out of a new composite material, the first of its kind in the nation. The interlocking blocks that make up the structure are put together like Legos. Anybody can stack blocks together. Ken Smuts is president of Renko USA, the company behind the molded blocks, which are a mix of recycled plastic and glass, fibers, resin, and stone. Smuts says all you need to build is a mallet and a glue gun. 
lowering the cost of labor. Because it's so easy, you don't need carpenter tools. This material is much lighter than concrete. It weighs about eight pounds. A concrete block of about the same size weighs about 40. Yet Renko says its structures can withstand earthquakes and Category 5 hurricanes. The company already has projects overseas in Turkey and says those have done well. This is the first of what they hope will be many developments in the U.S. We're teaching people how to erect these structures, and it's really quite simple. Lopez says he's comfortable living here. I'm not worried at all. A company looking to reshape the construction landscape block by block. Cristian Benavides, CBS News, Palm Springs, Florida. Yeah, yeah, so it was Valentine's Day this week, but there's a museum overseas that celebrates breakups. And the journey is comforting for some who want to look back. Sounds of love fill the air in Croatia's capital city. But step inside one of Zagreb's most popular museums and all love is lost. If we're being realistic, uh, every love will end one day. The Museum of Broken Relationships is counting on it, with a collection of nearly 5,000 items donated from people around the world who've fallen out of love. It's not the objects, but the stories that are intriguing. Like a diet book a woman got from her ex-husband. It was a great sign that their relationship was going nowhere. This Godzilla is the only thing still standing after another breakup. Ruminations of ruined relationships fill the sanctuary of failed love stories. This is a museum about love. Uh, We just may have a different view on love when it's over. Jemmy, visiting from Boston, says she can relate. I do have little possessions from past partners just to keep as a memory. And it kind of was comforting knowing that other people do the same thing as I do. The trip down Sentimental Street can take some tragic turns. This wedding dress is from a woman whose fiancé died before she got to wear it. Each memento perhaps a reminder that it's better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. Tina Krause, CBS News, London. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, the state of migrants in the nation. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings at hundreds of stores, including Doc Martens, Ninja Kitchen, and Hotels.com. Prep for summer and save big on beauty, travel, electronics, and more. It's one of Rakuten's biggest cash back events, and it's on May 6th through May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, where every week we discuss issues including income inequality. This time we're talking about the situation at the nation's border, where the route migrants are using to get in has changed. CBS News immigration reporter Camila Montoya Galvez joins us on his way to Arizona. We are heading to the Tucson sector in Arizona, which right now is the busiest border patrol region for migrant crossings. There has been a pretty dramatic demographic and geographical shift in migration patterns over the past few weeks. 
There has been a shift away from Texas, which was one of the epicenters of that record influx in December, and into Arizona and California, where 60% of the illegal crossings are now being recorded. So most of the migrants who are crossing into the U.S. without permission are now doing so in both Arizona and California, particularly, again, in this remote Tucson sector. We have been told that smugglers are dropping off migrants, including families with children, from across the world in really rugged sections of the border here in Arizona. And we are trying to understand why these migration patterns have shifted and how these migrants are being taken care of, because we understand that they are waiting for hours, Allison, sometimes to be picked up by Border Patrol. We are embedding with a group of volunteers here in the Tucson sector who distribute water and basic necessities to migrants. We have been told by these volunteers so far, we have not witnessed this yet, but that migrants are waiting hours, sometimes even nights in the outdoors near the border wall because Border Patrol is so overtaxed that it cannot process everyone in a timely fashion. So they are really the only people that these migrants are encountering when they enter the U.S. and the only people who are providing them services right now. As I mentioned, some of these migrants are families with minor children who obviously have unique challenges and needs. And, and that's something that right now the volunteers have to address through donations and the other funding that they have. And I wanted to ask you about something else that happened this week. ICE is considering the release of thousands of migrants. What's going on with that? Yes, Immigration and Customs Enforcement right now is making preliminary plans to release several thousand migrant detainees from its detention center system because it is running out of money to fund immigration enforcement operations. The Biden administration had asked Congress last year to allocate billions in dollars to fund the Department of Homeland Security, including ICE, which is the agency that oversees immigration detention and deportations. But Congress has rejected that funding request, along with the accompanying bipartisan agreement that the White House and a small group of senators reached a few weeks ago. And so right now the agency is facing this massive budget deficit. And one of the ways it is planning to address that deficit is by slashing the number of detention beds in its sprawling detention system. So this would basically allow some migrants to continue their cases outside of a detention center. But the administration's concern is that it will hinder its efforts to deport people who do not ask for asylum or who are found to be ineligible for asylum. And that is a big concern now, Allison, because while illegal crossings dropped by 50% from December to January, the number of people crossing the border has started to increase in February, and officials certainly expect those numbers to continue to increase as we historically see migration climb in the spring. Camila, was there any thought as to as if this has to happen, where would these migrants go, right? Because I know so many cities are struggling to deal with the number of people that are coming in now. If they have family and friends here in the U.S., they can certainly stay with them while their cases are adjudicated by U.S. courts, Allison. But we have found that many of the migrants who have been coming to the U.S. over the past three years are people who don't have any ties to the U.S. They don't have family 
relatives or friends here, especially those from Venezuela. And so they're having to rely on these local services in cities like New York City, Denver, and Chicago, which, as he just underscored, are struggling to accommodate all these migrants who, in many cases, are destitute and who cannot legally work in the U.S. because of a requirement that they wait for certain months before they're eligible to work. So it's a variety of factors that you have to consider here, but some of these migrants will be able to live with family and friends and others will, I think, eventually have to rely on these local services for substance. I know, Camilo, you have been speaking both to migrants at the border, and I think that you have also been speaking to some and some of the city centers. What what are people saying to you? Do they still have hope that they're going to be able to stay in the U.S.? Have they given up? Are they despaired? Well, Allison, right now, migrants are waiting years to have their cases adjudicated. So even those who may not ultimately qualify for asylum will still get to stay here and work here for several years because of how backlogged the system is. Right now, the immigration court system is overseeing a backlog of over 3 million pending cases. And that right now is leading to most cases taking an average of four years to be adjudicated, which is a long time. And so most of the migrants who have been released by U.S. border officials have been able to stay here and will be able to stay here for a few years. But the issue ultimately is that the migrants who are not able to secure that permanent legal status through asylum will be in a legal limbo once they get rejected and uh, won't be able to work here. And they will be kind of be added to the undocumented population here in the U.S., which already stands at 11 million. Wow. All right. Let me ask you one more, because I know the president made an announcement this week about Palestinian migrants. What's the case there? Sure. So the Biden administration has now authorized immigration officials to create a program for Palestinians who are already in the U.S., to prevent them from being deported to Gaza or the West Bank and to offer them work permits. The president used his executive authority to create this program called Deferred Enforced Departure, and this will allow several thousand Palestinians to be protected from deportation for at least 18 months. It would also allow them, as I just underscored, to work here in the U.S. legally. The president justified this action by saying that the conditions in Gaza in particularly are very dire due to the war between Israel and Hamas. And so this is the latest action that the president has had to take on this incredibly vexing foreign policy issue that his administration is facing. I've just got to ask you, curious, I know that there are other places that are in dire straits, like Sudan and Haiti. Are are refugees from there and also Ukraine, right? Are refugees from there also being kept, being able to stay in the U.S. under that program? So right now, the U.S. has a program for Ukrainian refugees to come here if they have American sponsors. Several thousand Ukrainians are arriving each month under that program. That program is still in place. There's also a separate policy for migrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela that also allows up to 30,000 of them to come to the U.S. each month if they have American sponsors. Those programs are continuing. There's also a temporary protective status program for migrants from Sudan who are already in the U.S., so it does not benefit people who are in Sudan currently. The problem right now for the administration, Allison, is that the program for Cubans, Haitians, 
Nicaraguans and Venezuelans is being challenged in federal court by Texas officials. And so we could get a ruling imminently as to the legality of this program, and it could very well be shut down because of this lawsuit by Republican officials in Texas. That's CBS News immigration reporter Camila Montoya-Galvez. Coming up, is that really bacon on your breakfast sandwich? That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. In Rockland County, New York, as we celebrate Black History Month, a tribute to two African-American veterans standing in the shadow of their ancestors. WCBS-TV's John Diaz. It's a shadow military veterans Grady Anderson and James Epps say they're honored to walk in and one they want to shine a brighter light on. Makes you proud to be an American. After impressive military careers, Wednesday, the two Rockland County men were celebrated. 84-year-old Anderson receiving the Lifetime Achievement Buffalo Soldier Award. It's an honor to be recognized while you're still here. And 89-year-old Epps getting the Buffalo Soldier Award. And I'm proud to be in the organization as a Buffalo Soldier. The awards are given annually to outstanding African-American veterans living in Rockland County. Named after the soldiers of the 10th Cavalry Regiment, organized as an all-black unit in 1866 after the Civil War. Cal Carter is with the Buffalo Soldiers National Museum. Of the first black soldiers to serve, make a career out of serving in the military. Prior to that, if blacks would join the military, they only could serve essentially during a time of crisis or the time of war. Historians say Buffalo Soldiers should always be remembered as trailblazers, but not just for what they did during battle. But for their achievements at home, too. Their legacy still impacts us. Cal says they also had to battle conflicts internally, told to fight enemies who sometimes were mistreating people, similar to how black people were being oppressed. You're serving in a military where where ideally you should not, you're supposed to be treated as an American citizen, but you're still dealing with Jim Crow laws. This award ceremony serving as a symbol of the next generation, attaching themselves to and carrying on a legacy that won't ever be forgotten. Now to music where a superstar is making new waves for new fans. This ain't Texas, ain't no hold'em. Texas Hold'em, a salute to Beyonce's Southern Roots, did break the internet, but it wasn't the song. It was the response to one Oklahoma country music radio station that initially refused to play the track, sending the beehive into a frenzy. Listeners said the station, KYKC, initially responded to one ex-user's request saying, we do not play Beyonce on KYKC as we are a country music station. But after getting flooded with more requests, the station played it a day later. In a statement to CBS News, KYKC said, We didn't know that she had released a country song. Plus, being a small market station, we were not delivered a copy or even a file of the song. With Beyonce, people have wanted her to be in country music for, gosh, almost 20 years now. And every time she gets closer, people get excited. Marcus K. Dowling reports on country music for the Tennessean in Nashville. There's incredibly unprecedented growth opportunity in having Beyonce on country radio. This isn't Beyonce's first rodeo with country. 
she released Daddy Lessons on her 2016 album Lemonade and played the track with the chicks during the CMAs that year. Although black artists like Mickey Guyton and Jimmy Allen have succeeded in the genre in recent years, country has been dominated by white artists. But Beyonce has always been country. She's a native of the Houston area of Texas, and she has any right to be there as much as anybody else. Vladimir Dutit, CBS News, New York. Know what else is in Texas? Some really good food. And a social media star is headed to check it out. KTVT-TV's Olivia Leach with the story. The beautiful piece of chicken. You might have seen his viral restaurant reviews on social media. I got it. Let's try it and ready with the team. For the last seven months, social media food critic Keith Lee has traveled the country, visiting mom and pop restaurants that need a little boost in marketing, sharing his honest opinions about their food and service. And the lady answered the phone and she never said hello. She never said hold on. She never said anything. The next stop on his Keith Lee and family food tour. Dallas, Texas, we come in. I was like, ooh, I hope he come to Ain't Irene's, baby. <laughs> Darisha Harrison is the owner of Aunt Irene's Kitchen in South Dallas. They're famous for their black box filled with shrimp, crab, and sausage. Um, I started making these in my garage and selling them on the street corner. And then the city said, you can't do that. You got to get a building. I got a building. And then I just got all these followers behind me. Since Keith announced Dallas was his next stop, many of her loyal followers have been begging him to add on Irene's to his list. I got close to 25 text messages back to back, back to back, and then on Messenger. He's coming, he's coming, so be ready. So I said, well, we already ready. She hopes a visit from Keith will bring her more customers than ever before. Basically, to get the exposure, because my goal is to get a sit-down restaurant so all the people that's here now to actually sit down and experience the Aunt Irene's experience instead of having to pack it up and take it home. Keith Lee's reviews have the power to make or break restaurants. I'm going to show you anything I got, and we're going to try it and rate it one through ten. Cheesy grits and the three stacks of jerry cakes and fried chicken. But she's not worried. If he do come, if he don't come, you're still going to get the same quality food regardless. Because we're here to cater to you, baby. Keith Lee says he'll be taking recommendations about where he should go. Finally, for those whose mouths are watering over the sausage and shrimp, a healthy slap back to reality. And what's in your newfangled breakfast sandwich? CBS's Jared Hill tells us it might surprise you. It's the typical breakfast rush at a typical New York City bodega. But look a little closer at what the cooks are serving. Not so typical, after all. Our bacon's made of kelp, our burgers are made of jackfruit and pea protein. Neil Zacharias is the brains behind Plantega. That's plant bodega, if you didn't catch it. The company supplies over 60 New York City bodegas with ingredients and training to make vegan versions of deli staples, expanding access. To offer people who are already coming to bodegas to buy the existing bacon, egg and cheese and substitute that for something that is healthier. Plantega's growth behind deli counters in New York City comes as research shows an increase in interest in plant-based options nationwide. I try to eat more plant-based. I just feel like it's healthier. It's clean. Health is the driving factor. We're getting a lot more fiber that's going to support our gut and decrease the risk of chronic diseases like the cancers, heart disease risk. Registered dietitian Yasi Ansari recommends focusing on less processed foods like beans or tofu when cutting animal products. And watch out for sodium and sugars, sometimes added to boost the taste. Keep it simple. Make sure that there's not a long list of ingredients of things that you can't necessarily pronounce. While experts say cooking at home is ideal, 
they understand sometimes people have to grab a bite on the go. I like the chicken, the fish. There's just so many flavors. Plantega hopes making these options more available will encourage new customers to give plant-based foods a try. One order at a time. Jared Hill, CBS News, New York. That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to weekendroundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. The Weekend Roundup is produced at the CBS News Washington Bureau. Sarah Fishman is a technical supervisor and Alan Pang provides production assistance. Have a great week. I'm Allison Key, CBS News. If you like CBS News Roundup, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.